The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. Welcome, everyone. So, just to review what we'll do tonight, um, we'll just take a. I'll take a couple minutes to review um, a theme that we've been looking at. And then a couple announcements. Then we'll take a social break. You don't have to have a name tag, but remember, it's generally nice etiquette for these uh, Monday night gatherings. Anytime we're having a circle, to have a name tag. And uh, I think we have materials to make a permanent name tag if you think you might be around, if you want to be in a committed relationship with the community. (laughs) Otherwise, just keep using the one-time name tags, which are sitting on the shelf under the bulletin board. And then we'll come back around 8 o'clock from the social break and have another circle time. We'll start with the people who passed or weren't here last week. Um, and then if there probably will be time. And then anybody who wants a second time to share, we'll start there. And then um, just to review the, the theme, I linked to an article by Gil Fransdahl last week in the introductory email, we're just talking about um, mindfulness, awareness practice, and how it's used to know the mind, to train the mind, and to, the, and to release the mind. And it's just a very simple way for us to understand the general course of practice that everybody is moving through, right? And we're, you know, to be a practitioner, we're at least knowing the mind, and that means that like when we're lost in thought, absorbed in our life, then in a sense there's no sense that this experience is being known. So there's no way to be a practitioner. And one of the things, you know, as we build some momentum, sitting more regularly, sitting a little longer, doing maybe a little bit more study, You're just going to naturally notice more ordinary moments in a busy day where there's that moment of space, wisdom, space of wisdom, where the mind, wisdom notices, oh, this moment is being known with or without any language. In your mind, usually you're not going to have those words, this is being known, arising in those moments. There will be just that recognition, this is being known. This experience of the body or mind, this experience of the present moment is being known. And that's an impactful moment. And when there's some stability of that knowing the mind, which is not different than saying knowing the present moment. The present moment is a moment of mind. Right? All we know, all that is ever known, is the mind. The whole world is a mind moment, right? One mind moment after another. So, you know, somebody might be over there, but it's being known, that visual experience, the thought, the perception, all that is a moment of mind. But we normally don't realize that. We're lost in our thought about the moment, which is, no, there's somebody over there. And that's a thought being known in the mind, right? So that's knowing the mind. That's a big step. Being mindful in a moment 
is a radical step. It's not a just a, it's different than a moment of being conscious. You know, you're unlike unlocking your bike lock and you're conscious of unlocking your bike lock. But that doesn't mean that there's space in the mind, the space of wisdom that understands that this physical activity or this mental activity is just something being known. And then when there's some momentum, then it's the purifying the mind, or here they, uh, Gil translated as training the mind. Because in the knowing that this is being known, that reflective or mindful knowing, mindful awareness, then there's a sense of what's getting set in motion, right? Like how to, by how we're paying attention, what we're paying attention to, there can be a kind of shaping, you know, we're participating in karma in a way, by how we're paying attention, what we're paying attention to. Like, for example, to notice how things change when I'm noticing kindness. Kindness is being known. There's a lot of healing that happens as opposed to you know, identifying with anger, being angry. So training the mind is realizing how impactful, really realizing the karmic effects of this space of knowing, what the knowing mind is knowing, how it's knowing, how it's relating to the objects. So in Buddhism, we often talk about it, and you'll see this, again, out in the world. Forget about, I mean, it would be easier, of course, in a sit or a walking period, but just out in the ordinary day when you have some momentum, continuity of awareness, just to notice the causes for suffering and the causes for release. What causes tension? What causes a releasing? What way of showing up in the moment, way of relating to the moment is helpful? What way of relating, showing up in the moment isn't helpful? And this is the training. It's really just recognizing what's skillful and unskillful, but in the moment, not conceptually, but in the moment, seeing that the mind, whatever the mind is doing, seeing that it's unskillful, or whatever the mind is doing, seeing that it's helpful in the moment. And then that really changes the mind because it's learning, you know, the difference between what's helpful and not helpful. And then the releasing the mind, you know, it's not anything anyone can do. It's something that happens when there's enough moment, enough maturing of what's skillful and unskillful. And at some point, there are enough data points, enough moments of seeing what's skillful and unskillful, that the wisdom, just the natural process of wisdom, it, in a way, it, it uh, gathers all that data and interprets it and it comes to this, now this isn't a cognitive process, this conclusion that letting go is the way, it just lets go. So the letting go of non-grasping, not, not being attached, not being identified to the experience, the activity of the moment, the body and the mind, that letting go, that non-attachment is the natural result of having a lot of, a lot of data points about what's skillful and unskillful. Attachment hurts. Non-attachment feels light, feels easy. Attachment is heavy. Non-attachment is beautiful. 
you know, we have a lot of those data points just from ordinary moments. And at some point, there is enough of the cumulative data that the heart lets go. And then the mind, the wisdom sees the mind that's released, the mind that is empty of attachment. And it knows the mind free of attachment. Now we can imagine that, but that means, it doesn't mean that the way we imagine a mind free of attachment is actually the direct, immediate experience of that. We may not know the experience of a mind free of attachment, but we do know the mind being attached. And we know the difference between the mind being really attached and the mind being less attached. We might have moments of the mind having wholesome qualities with just a little attachment, a lot of love, not so much attachment, a lot of generosity or ease or calm, and not so much identification. But at some point, we'll start having experiences of of a sort of surprising moment of no attachment. It's like opening to reality or an altered state that we're unf- the mind's unfamiliar. Like, oh, that feels that must be the freedom the Buddha talks about, or other people talk about that putting down a load I didn't know was there. Because attachment, identification, grasping is such a continuous habit that it's shocking when there's a moment of non-attachment. And that's the third, you know, using mindfulness to release the mind. Because what we're doing is we're realizing or recognizing a moment of non-attachment. Mindfulness is recognizing the freedom, the taste of freedom. Little in little ways and in big ways, just depends on how it unfolds. So that's just something you can play with in the practice, knowing the mind, right? So we go from being lost in thought to recognizing this is being known with more stability, more continuity, really playing, being in the world where the mind discerns the difference between relating or showing up in skillful or unskillful ways. And then in some moments, somewhere along the line, recognizing with mindfulness moments of freedom, a mind empty of attachment. So I just wanted to review that you have the article to reread. But, but once you get enough kind of sense of what Gil and the Buddha is pointing to in this, with these teachings, then just really trust your own experience. You know, is there a knowing of the mind, knowing of the present moment? And just really get that as a simple capacity of our heart to know this is being known. It's not complicated, but we tend to dismiss it because we trust the cognitive activity more than the simple movement we call mindfulness. Oh yeah, it's just this being known. And to realize that it opens up this whole place of discerning what's helpful and not helpful in a more direct, immediate way. Any questions about that? Yeah, Rob. Uh, just having, knowing something, uh, I often mistakenly believe that because I know it, it should just go away or it should no longer be a problem. Today I was in a bookstore bringing back some uh, books to sell them and they said it would be just 15 minutes. And about a half hour later I went up and I just noticed a lot of impatience. And so it was being known and then 
They said, well, we're still not done. It turned out to be an hour. And I just noticed, I was just very aware of the impatience that I wanted the get out of jail free card because it was being known. But it, <laughs> yeah. can you talk a little bit about um, just recognizing that and maybe a skillful way or or just knowing this is just being a human being, this is just uh, inconvenience? Right. And the, and the question is, like, when there is the unpleasantness of impatience, what is the skillful and what are the unskillful ways to be showing up for that? And I bet you saw, like, in real time, that when the identification with the impatience was very strong, the unpleasantness was more impactful, more difficult to bear. And when the impatience was related to with a sense of humor, with a sense of wisdom and space, or a sense of whatever, forget, uh, compassion, that it wasn't as hard to bear. Right? So that's that skillful, unskillful, discerning the difference, knowing how to train the mind. Like, oh, the mind gets trained to relate to it in a light way and instead of a gripping way, grasping way, right? And then at some point, maybe in that experience, maybe not, there was... Uh, a little flash, a little just brief moment of whatever was going on, the impatience not being a problem. It doesn't land. There is nobody who has a problem. Maybe that actually happened. I bet it, I wouldn't be surprised if there were moments of that. Yeah, but distraction's not a small thing because when the mind's distracted, see, Distraction is actually really a powerful teaching because then you're thinking about dinner, let's say, okay, but you're not aware that you're thinking about dinner. It's not a moment of mindfulness. But then at some point, there's a transition from being lost in thought about dinner to realizing you're still waiting. But before the aversion kicks in, right? And so there can be in that transition from being lost, because when you were thinking about dinner, you weren't reacting to the story that it isn't fair that you have to wait so long, right? So that was, the mind was empty of that drama. And then it returns, perceives the bookstore, the comprehends, you know, the story's there, but the emotional reaction hasn't yet shown up. There's a brief little gap where there's a possibility, right? And the mind can basically experience being at the bookstore without it being a problem. But then the force of habit, of the memory of the past, no, 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 I've already determined this is a problem, catches up and, and sort of imposes its will right on the moment. And it's like an old glove. It feels right to kind of be averse to having waited. But you can, the, the transitions are really impactful in practice. And a lot of the transitions are from being lost to being mindful again, and to get really interested. It's only in the transition. You know, once a moment or two in, we tend to, the old guard tends to reestablish itself in the mind because habits that have momentum have momentum, and they tend to assert themselves and dominate the mind. But it, but it doesn't happen instantaneously. So the mind can really get interested in that moment of reappearing. 
This reminds me of some talks you gave, I think in early winter, about these different gradations of how to deal with negative thoughts or emotions. And just one thing I remembered, which was very helpful, is this metaphor of driving a peg. Like, you have a thought, and, and rather than it being a distraction, you're consciously choosing to drive a new thought into that place, which could be a thought of loving kindness or... Or even going back to the breath. Yeah, or going back to the breath. So, so it, and, and if, that, if that takes care of it, then it was a minor irritation. Because I was struggling with some very difficult thoughts. And I remember you went all the way down to some very, very like mm. crushing mind with mind or something that I needed to actually be doing in order to deal with these very troublesome thoughts. So that was useful, and, but it was a very long... Yeah, but it's, a, it's a, actually a very accessible sutta. So that you're referring to the Buddha's sutta and the Middle Link discourses about removing distracting thoughts. And there's a good article that we have up on the Buddhist Studies um, website, or webpage rather, if anybody's looking for that, written by a, a Buddhist scholar, that's just helping us practice with those five instructions. But yeah, this is the point of having uh, meditation techniques, is w- when we need some kind of dharma move to help the mind break a habit, a cycle that's in, that's not helpful. You know, we, we know how that is. Like even in a set, if we get entangled in some sticky emotional stuff, memories, it can be useful to open the eyes and take a conscious deep breath, right, as a reset or reboot for the heart. So there's any number of ways to do that without having to leave the meditation period or to bring in loving kindness practice, as you mentioned, Ruth, is a common way too. But we, we always want to be careful, especially those of you who've been practicing for a while, before you use a Dharma move, one dar- one first go-to dharma move is not to imagine you need a a dharma move. Like maybe the mind is in a real mess and maybe that's okay. Maybe the whole ship will right itself simply by knowing the ship's in trouble. You know, feeling the entanglement, being real about the entanglement, about whatever is happening in the mind and body. That itself is the first go-to move. And then if that doesn't work after a number number of sort of encouragements to just be with the experience and let the reality of things arising and passing away play itself out, then try some of those other Dharma moves that have been helpful. Maybe time for one more before we break, if there's anything else. Yeah, thank you. Someone, you know, they don't know a half gallon from a gallon, and you know, bitch, you know, 
And so then I left the store, and when I got in my car, I thought, oh. then it hit me. And I thought, oh, I really ruined their day. You know? And I felt remorse. But um, uh, wouldn't it be mindful to notice what I did? Only would it have to be as I was doing it? Is that so that didn't really. But, it, but it's fine to note. I mean, it's better to notice something in hindsight than to not notice it at all. So it doesn't really matter because the reverberation, you, you probably were very, you know, in a wise and compassionate way, mindful of what the reverberation of what happened in the store when you were in the car, right? But sure, it's better to be mindful all the way along, but we should appreciate any time the mind has the confidence and the fearlessness and the inclination to just be honest about what's moving, what's coming and going, what's helpful, what's not helpful. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, when we're, especially in social situations, the social conditioning is so seductive, it's, it's a real postgraduate level of practice to have real mindfulness when we're in conversation. You know, a lot of people... Um, who are really into the pra- in this style of practice have taken Gregory Kramer and now he's trained many other people have done these uh, and do these inside dialogue retreats where you basically it's a inside meditation retreat but there are two sessions sometimes three sessions a day where you're doing dyads or triads or some small group and you're practicing being mindful and they create topics usually around dharma issues topics, but something to talk about. But that's not so important, what you're talking about, even though it turns out that they end up being really nice conversations. But the key is to practice being aware when you're in conversation, when you're listening and talking. It's really interesting and challenging. But we can get closer and closer. Even, and even there, it's in hindsight. Sometimes you say something, and then it's two seconds later, and the other person's talking, and then the impact of what you just said blossoms in your heart, and you realize, oh, yeah. So, you know, but that's okay. Whenever, however it unfolds. Let's just see if there's any business to take care of. Did anybody sign up to be the practice leader tomorrow and to play the talk? Thanks, Kevin, for doing that again. And then has anybody signed up for Wednesday this week to make sure this sits? Someone's ringing the bell for the 11 to 12. Thanks, Carol. And you'll play the talk on Wednesday, too. So then if you can get here on Tuesday, and remember, you don't have to stay the whole time. You can come just for the talk at 1, or you can come just for the sit at 11, or just for the lunch at 12 to connect and chat at lunch. So, But it's a time for people who have that freedom to come in the middle of the day. And more one-on-ones, um, if you want to sign up for next Monday afternoon. Um, any other business that we should take care of? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I've been sitting here and um, I learned something about that this week that if you have the thought that it doesn't matter if you come, like, you know what I mean? It's, it really makes a difference. It's really cool when people show up. I mean, there's something about just one person, another person, and a third person showing up that is very inspiring. So, but I know as myself, when these things are set up, I might think, oh, it doesn't matter if I'm there or not. 
Mm-hmm. It's not about coming to necessarily hear the talk. Sometimes you just get your body there to support somebody else. It's really good. Yeah. It's, and, it's not like, you know, you should be there, but it's just a really lovely and, it, and it's really powerful that Kevin and you and the others, just because you create the opportunity for that inclination to arise in somebody's mind and for them to act on it and show up like that. Yeah. Good. So it's probably a little late. It's uh, 8 now. So let's go 10 minutes, social break. We'll come back at 10 after 8. So remember to connect with people that, not the people you already know well, but be brave and say hello to other folks too. Invite them into your pods as you move around either in this room or any place in the building. I'll call us back with a bell. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.